You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today, our guest is Mark Morgan. Mark is the former chief of Border Patrol under the Obama administration, and he served 20 years with the FBI. Mark was also a police officer with the LAPD and a former Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine, of course. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Gail, thanks for having me. I had the pleasure of meeting Mark in the Fox Green Room last week, and I was so impressed by the information that he had to share with the nation that I asked him if he would come on the show and share it with our listeners as well. And after I met Mark in the Green Room, he went on to CNN and he gave one of the best responses to a CNN host I've ever heard on any subject, and I'm definitely going to link to it in the um in the podcast, but uh, certainly there was a lot of information about that. And Mark, I'm so glad that you're here to talk about this. We have three topics to cover today that you have a lot of expertise in. And we just finished watching the Chicago Police Department's conference or press conference on the Jussie Smollett case or matter. And I'm curious, with your extensive background in policing and investigation with the FBI, what are your thoughts on this case? Yeah, so I, I agree. This is a very important matter topic for, for really the whole country. And, and I really do need to say that, you know, the superintendent, I, I don't think I could have done a better job than he did at the press conference. He right? was great, he right? Really, he, right, Gail, he really did. He laid out all the issues. I mean, it, you know, so, so let's, but I think it's important, right? Due process works all the way around. So I think when we are discussing this, I always think it's important to say, hey, right now, uh, uh, Smollett is, is uh, uh, alleged to have masterminded this, but he yes. deserves due process, and, and, right? And he's innocent until proven guilty. Um, but, but as we unpeel this, right, and we look at the facts as laid out by, by the Chicago Police Department, I mean, the superintendent's right. If, if this is true, Smollett, he exploited one of the most sensitive, emotional and volatile type of issues we have in this country race and then and then for good measure he throws on and exploits that lgbtq issue in this country uh and and, and Gail, i think it's important you know he did this at a time right where where political ideology is driving even more emotion into this issue it, it's just absolutely horrendous and disgusting all the way around the superintendent seemed particularly offended that this alleged crime implicated all of Chicago. And he talked about particularly the fact that Chicago has one of the largest gay pride parades in the country. And he talked about how gun violence is such a problem in Chicago. And he wished that victims of gun violence would have the attention that has been showered onto this matter. And he really talked too, I think, about the noose in particular, saying it's such a symbol of hatred and racism and oppression. And for, like you said, the alleged, they haven't proved it yet, but the alleged perpetrator to use that symbolism essentially in what they're going to make the case was an effort to get a higher salary from his employer, the show, is I mean, the superintendent just seemed fit to be tied to think about the implications of that. Absolutely, Gail. Again, 
every comment I, I listen to every comment with with just intent <clears throat> intense you know scrutiny because I really thought it was important what he was going to say and he knocked it out of the park like you said talking about the symbolism of that news right so so Smollett knew what he was doing by that and you know superintendent you know mentioned another thing how he took you know advantage right of 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 the the racial divide that we have to promote his own career and and the superintendent also hit another important part about <clears throat> think about this the chilling effect it could have on real victims of real hate crimes going forward because of the public skepticism now that's going to develop on this and and here's another thing that the superintendent hit this lightly but i'd like to go in a little more detail because what what this case had the potential to do is pour gasoline on the current emotions right, right? Uh, in the chicago an entire city really that would have permeated throughout the whole nation think about this is is if chicago pd change a couple of facts Let's say there would have been a few more people out that night. <clears throat> Excuse me, and 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 the police department had a hard time actually finding these individuals. Well, because supposedly they're working look, looking for white subjects, right? Let, right. Let's say they weren't able to, to to come up with anybody, and it was unsolved. Think about the rhetoric that would start, Gail. They would start blaming the, the Chicago Police Department that they didn't care, that they were racially insensitive. This could have continued poured gasoline in, in the entire city of Chicago. You could have seen protests. There could have been riots, right? We've been through that in this country before. Yes. So, right. So, so the, the ramifications of this hoax, alleged hoax, are, are, could have been unbelievable had it not been for the outstanding investigative work of Chicago PD. And I think people really need to think about that. And how do you think the media's gullibility for this story has implicated them in responsibility as well. Because certainly when the first news reports came out, there was a lot of uh, consternation from mainstream media outlets, certainly many of the Democratic presidential 2020 candidates. And it was, it's, it was pretty much an echo chamber of, of distaste and, um, you know, rising to his defense and assuming that everything he said was correct. Gail, another great comment, spot on. And and from a law enforcement perspective, you know, I, I, I always ask how many more examples, how many more times are we going to rush to judgment, both on the national media front and the political front, to only be proven wrong before we learn that this pro this country was founded on due process. Everybody needs to take a breath, take a step back, and let the investigative entities, in this case Chicago PD, do their jobs. But you're absolutely right. Hours, just hours after this allegation, it was believed to be true. People were, were dropping the, the, the word allegation. You had more than one presidential hopeful on the Democratic Party refer to this as a modern-day lynching. You had Maxine Waters getting out there and, and not only believing the allegation as fact, but already assigning blame and, and, and blaming the president of the United States for this hate crime that we now it looks like it was a hoax. It, it's, it's unbelievable to me that – so, so in my opinion, and, and you saw it, what did that do? That just poured more fuel on the divide 
And it just made it worse. And I think that's a really good point that you make about how one single incident can trigger a cascade of really negative effects for everyone, even people who aren't related to the episode at all. And you see, you know, wars have been started over less significant things, uh, let alone, like you were saying, our experience with with unrest and riots and to think of all the unintended consequences that could have resulted from that type of claim, it is it is really frightening. Um, I want to discuss it with you from a law enforcement perspective. Uh, we talked a little bit about how it would have been hard to find the brothers because it was assumed they were white at the beginning of the investigation. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but the superintendent was talking about how they only got the information from them in the 47th hour. And under law, I guess they're only allowed to keep them for 48 hours and then they have to release them. How difficult do you think this investigation was for the Chicago police? So I, I'm glad you asked that. And that's another, besides the ramifications, unintended consequences we talked about, I think that's important. If, if you just, just, just quickly, if you don't mind, if you, if you listen to when the commander that oversaw the investigation, he talks about, you know, 100 uh, people were interviewed, uh, a total of 55 cameras, hundreds of hours, wow. maybe thousands of hours, right? And then he got 50 search warrants and subpoenas. So if you look at that, it, an incredible investigation what was was conducted, right? Right. But if you change, but if you change a, a, a couple of elements in that investigation, you know, I I don't know where we would have been, right? And so with with the brothers, though, the forty eight hours really what that does that that just means they they have to actually charge them or release them. That wouldn't have meant that the investigation stopped, right? Right. So. So it's more of a procedural thing. So the investigation would have kept going, but obviously when they're in custody, that's when they have, I think the police department has, has the most leverage, right? Yes. And, and, and it worked. And, and it worked in, in this case. And it seems like it's unlikely for the brothers to be charged um, because they, this is, I don't know, I, I'm curious about the law on this. I guess you can pay somebody to beat you up and it doesn't violate any laws. So if they didn't make false statements to the police or do anything else, I think with with the mailing of the threatening letter, uh, that there might be some criminal uh, exposure there as well. We don't know. But do you think that given the amount of of manpower, so to speak, that has been thrown at this investigation, that the prosecutor is likely to try and really maximize whatever uh, offenses there are to make sure that this is um, just for if this actually occurred the way that they think it occurred, that it will be prosecuted the fullest extent of the law. Yeah, so I, I think the indications that we have to we go. So so the grand jury, I, I think that's a key that, that people need to understand is so that's not done all the time, right? The, the police right. department right regularly just goes out and arrests without a grand jury. So the fact that they took it to a grand jury, uh, I think indicates their intentions, right? And the, you know, really the small he, he had a window there. Uh, uh, probably five or six day window there where he could have come in and probably got a deal for himself, but he chose not to. And now the fact that he went, went to the grand jury and got that, I think that window's done. And I think they're going to go hard at him. Uh, I, I think they wouldn't have used grand jury if, if they're not going down that road. And, and
and they should. And and on the brothers, yeah, here here's what you you have with them. You're right. So at best, maybe you could get them is after the fact when the, when Smollett did in fact go and and they knew what he was reporting is a lie. There could be some uh, culpability that right that that they yes. didn't come forward. It, it, it kind of kind of an obstruction kind of matter. But but that would be really loose. But I'm telling you, they're fully cooperating. Nothing's going to happen to them. They're going to be the star witnesses that are going to bring uh, uh, Jesse Smollett down. Uh, n- no charges will be filed against them and uh, because they're cooperating. Did you notice in the press conference, too, that they talked about how they were praying for Jesse? I thought that was very interesting, an interesting comment to make. And I, as well, feel sorry that someone is that... Um, you know, it's still alleged, but it, that someone would feel that disturbed to make that kind of attempt to, as you said, just really create a, a fire in a very politically polarizing um, area and inflame a lot of passions that, you know, once you once you set things on fire, you don't know where the fire is going to stop or if you're going to be able to put it out. Well, so here, here's where, again, I think, I think the superintendent of Chicago Police Department did exactly what they should in that environment as a leader uh, overseeing something that, that, that is a very emotional, volatile, you know, matter. I, I think they did well. Uh, I, I'm not there, so, so I, I can branch off a little bit, and I have no sorrow for, for, for Jesse Smollett if, if it's proven to be true what he did, right? So I can already see the narrative, the, the, the false narrative going out there and actually somewhat changing him to still be a victim in the sense right. that, oh, well, maybe maybe there's a mental illness or, no, look, I, I've been doing law enforcement for 25 years. The, the, what he did uh, and the reasons why are as old as time. He did it for greed, money, power, notoriety, right? That's it. He, he's, he's, not, he's not a sick individual. He doesn't have a mental illness. He's just a human being that was greedy and wanted attention. That, that, we, we have to be intellectually honest here, right? That, that, that's what this is all about. And I think it's going to be, that, that's going to be proven. And I think we need to make sure that, that he is not uh, looked at as the victim. The victim is the Chicago Police Department. The victim is the nation. The victim are real, real victims of hate crimes, and, and the, including the LGBT community, that, that I do think there's going to be a, now a, a height of skepticism and a reluctance to come forward. Those are the real victims. And we should always keep that in mind. Do you think the criminal jeopardy that he faces and I would say also the public backlash against what he's done will deter will deter other people who might be inclined to do something like this? Because we've seen a lot of things like this happen. I think at the Air Force Academy, there was something similar to this, and we've seen it in various places across the country. Do you think because of the intense spotlight on this, I think maybe because in particular he was an actor, so th- there, was, there was a lot of pickup because of that. Uh, do you think that this will be a deterrent to future things that might people might be inclined to do? So I, I think so, and I think that's a great, great point, Dale. If, if we could find a silver lining, again, I, I'm still worried about there'll be some, uh, because of the heightened skepticism, will be reluctant. I think that's very real. We need to keep our eye on the ball. But at the same time, you're right. I, I think the silver lining here is is that, because, hey, let, let's be honest. Um, there, th- This isn't new either about hoax hate crimes. This isn't, a, this isn't something that, that 
has never happened before. It, it happens, and unfortunately, it happens on a regular basis. So I, I hope so. Uh, and, and here's the one thing, though. The, the, the Chicago Police Department and the, and the state's attorneys there, that's why they need to go after this guy and throw the book at him to do exactly what you're commenting, to send a message to everybody. I think it's important because here's, here's another ramification that has been kind of barely mentioned, but just think if there would have been a few more people out there and there would have been a couple of white guys there and the police department went and, and, and brought them in as persons of interest. Think about that, Gail. Right. Mullet would have sat there. He, he would have sat there and let these two individuals be put on display for the whole world and their lives ruined and viscerated right. by, the, by, by the national media. And he would have sat back and let them happen knowing it was a lie and a complete hoax. Right. That, well, that lies entangle right? everybody and they can hurt unintended victims. And like you're saying, I mean, we do have examples where people have been falsely implicated in crimes and you can't un, you can't put the toothpaste back in the in the toothpaste tube. So we right. for- don't have to look too far to a, a, a 16 year old young man. Yes, right? that, 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 that exactly. That's exactly who I was thinking of. I want to switch a little bit now and talk about the ISIS brides. That's been in the news a lot. And we're seeing a lot of pleas for these women who left the United States to to make their way. And it was very difficult to make their way into the ISIS controlled areas of Syria and Iraq. And they um, married ISIS fighters, had kids by the ISIS fighters. Now that the ISIS, now that ISIS has been pretty much decimated, uh, not the I- ideology, obviously, but th- their power has been decimated. These women want to come back to the Western countries. What what is your feeling on this, having been involved in law enforcement for so long in border security? Yeah, the first thing is is I, I just think, unfortunately, I think a country as a whole, because we're, we're such a, a generous nation, that that really drives us to have a, a very short memory. Those <laughs> of us in law enforcement, right, right, especially yeah. those in law enforcement at the federal level or, or state level that, that have, have been involved in, in, in terrorist um, um, investigations and or crimes and, and events, uh, our, our memories aren't short. Uh, the, the, those are indelible uh, marks on our mind. And, and so I think when we talk about her, look, again, I know we're a, a, a generous nation, but, but we also have to be intellectually honest. And, and we have a conversation about someone like this. Let's, let's start off with the facts, right? The fact is she was radicalized, self-radicalized by the jihad movement. She proudly declared war against America. And while she's there, it's been reported that she participated and or saw war crimes rape of other women, uh, watch beheading, right? So, so when we talk about this individual, I, we, we have to keep that in mind when, when we have these discussions. This is not some little innocent woman that now, it, it really made me sick, Gail, when she talked about, well, yeah, may, maybe if I get some therapy, to uh, help make sure I won't do this again, right? right. I, 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 I've got high <sighs> more faith in American people, even with our generosity, they say, no, 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 we're, we're that, that we're not taking that right right and so i, I think i think it, for me the answer is real quick and, and i think uh, uh secretary pompeo has already addressed that if it's confirmed that she's a, a non-us citizen and doesn't have a valid passport my my answer is why are we even discussing this the answer is no the answer right. is no she shouldn't right. come in and it's easy 
And it's the main reason why she, I mean, I could see many, many reasons why Americans would not want to let her back in. One being is the threat of future harm that she herself could plan something or she could give material aid to those who are planning bad things in the United States. And so that's one reason why another reason would be the idea that, um, you know, if you declare war against the United States, then yeah, you could come back here and be prosecuted and put in jail. But like, why, why on earth do we want to do that? And I think it comes back to your point that, that Secretary Pompeo made, if she's not a U.S. citizen, and she, my understanding is she tore up her passport, then how how does she even have any legal right to request a return to the United States? That's right. She she doesn't have any legal status at all. And so, and again, on, on my intellectually honest kind of kick, look, we, we, we have to talk about these facts. And like, look, there is no way, she, she didn't, you know, her her uh, epiphany, right, if you will, did not come from a all of a sudden de-radicalization. You know, she <clears throat> she didn't all of a sudden have a newfound respect and belief and admiration for the, the U.S. <laughs> you know core values and founding principles, right? I mean, let's be honest. What she did was she went over there. It's a mess. Her husband dies. Uh, they're, they're losing the, the jihad. They're 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 losing territory, and she's found herself in a, in a desperate horrible place and of course what what is her her response is hey how can i get out of here oh i'm sorry let me back to the country uh come on it's very she's doing this it's it's all about self-survival that's that's all that is she she doesn't just automatically now believe in in america's founding principles i mean come on that's just complete bs yeah, and how does she relate to Johnny Walker Taliban guy? I mean, she like you're saying she the the idea is that she may have witnessed war crimes being committed. And I think you raise a really important point. If she wanted to return and ISIS was triumphant and everything was going well there and she said, "Oh, this is a yep. mistake. I want to come back." That's different than uh, and Honestly, I'd still say forget it. But um, it, it, in this situation, the the area is just terrible, and and it doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere. And whatever it was that impelled her to go there in the first place, it's it's not that's not the reality of the situation. That, 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 that's right. In the law enforcement, there was a great couple sayings. Right? It's first of all. Uh, I, I don't believe in coincidences, right? And so, you know, it, what a coincidence that they're, they're, they're losing the caliphate, they're losing, they're being destroyed, and and, and now she sees the light. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't buy it, right? And I don't believe it. And, you know, another one that we've all heard about, right? Looks like a duck, acts like a duck, quacks like a duck, you know? So, you know, I, I she, she was very vehement about her disdain for America and her hatred for America and want to see Americans die. Uh, so I, I'm sorry, I, I don't see the switch. And, and here's another thing, though, Gail. So okay, so let's say that they go through this machination, and because there's a, an issue with her her father being a diplomat, not being the diplomat, right? So let's Yemeni. Just say they say okay, right? So let's just say okay, she's a citizen. Well, okay. Well, how about this? How about then we say okay, um, if, if we show that, and, and you have some rights, okay, come on in. Uh, we'll, we'll define you as a war criminal, as an enemy combatant, as a terrorist sympathizer, what, what, whatever title you want to put to it, right? And right. because we, we, we have indication that, that she was a terrorist sympathizer, she saw or participated in war crimes, let's, let's take her to Gitmo, 
Let's interrogate her, have her fully cooperate, then let's prosecute her. And then after she's been in jail for a couple of decades, right, then maybe we can reevaluate what we do with her next. It's to determine if she's still a threat. Okay. And, yeah. But to just let her come here and give her some therapy and call it a day, right, (laughs) it's a joke. It's like you say, Americans are very generous when you have – women with their babies, it, I think, tugs on yep. the heartstrings. Yep, yep. And she's not the only one. It's weird that we also saw one requesting return to England, and we saw another one requesting return to Canada. So do you think that's just a coincidence, or there's some significance to these three women saying this at the same time? Yeah, because yeah. ISIS, is, ISIS is losing, right? <laughs> they, they, they see it, right? They're like, I, I got nowhere to go. I, I have no country, right? So, so I, I got a backpedal. And, you know, the, the, the irony here is, you know, we, we always talk about issues between men and women. So I'll, I'll flip that narrative. What, what if it was a man wanting mm. to do this and, you know, he has a little child and he's wanting to come back? Would, would that be a different discussion? It shouldn't be, but I think it would be. That is an excellent point. I think that is an excellent point. Well, speaking of that, you have vast experience with border security, and obviously that has been a hot topic around the nation. And I do believe the entire world is waiting to see what we're going to do about this. Do you have any updates for us on the status of the negotiations between the White House and Congress and President Trump's effort to use unallocated money and switch it to actually making sure that we have safeguards at our southern border. Yeah, so I, I have been talking to some, some, some sources, and what, what's very, very hopeful for me is that, you know, I, I'm being told that the president and the administration and all the people he's listened to are remain strong in the resolve to do what we elected them to do, uphold their oath to protect the safety and security of this nation, and they're not backing down. Uh, they're they're going to do everything legally within their power to secure our borders. And uh, so I, I have not heard any, you know, kind of a break in that armor at all, and, and their fortitude, Tesla fortitude to make sure that happens. So so that's good. Um, but but I got to tell you, the, the bill that was signed, it was yes. horrible. It was a complete failure. It, it was it was it was horrible. And um, I, I wish I, I wish the bill hadn't been signed, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't know what 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 was the president's options, right? I mean, Congress failed. Congress has failing and it repeatedly us and repeatedly. And and here's here's where I, I've got and, and like people will say, look, I I really don't care what the president's motives are. I can't get inside another man's head, you know. I but I I've got no, in my opinion, there, there's no from a law enforcement border security perspective, I've seen nothing other then he, he wants to protect and safeguard our country from bad things and bad people coming in. But, but the bottom line for me is, is it's not a manufactured crisis. It is a real crisis. And we finally have a president and administration that says, I'm not kicking the can down the road. Even if you're failing the American people, Congress, I'm not. I'm still going to do everything I can. And that's what I see happening. If you were being interviewed by someone who was against the wall and increased border security and physical barriers and they told you flat out the wall physical barriers are immoral and they are opposed to the very fundamental core values of America Emma Lazarus you know come all you people what would you respond to that well I I would say because 
what hasn't been working are, are facts, right? So, so I, I mean, for months and months, fact after fact, I, I've been on shows, uh, Gail, where I've laid out facts like ICE in two years arrested 266 criminal aliens, not criminal aliens being here as a crime of illegally entering, but right. a, a, an additional crime, 100,000 assaults, 40,000 larcenies, 30,000 sexual assaults, 4,000 homicides, 6,000 gang members. And you know what the response will be is? It's a manufactured crisis. Right. right? So, so, so facts and, and truth and reality seems to have no impact on someone's emotional political ideology, right? And so, so, so that's not working. So what I would say to them is, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for you. Come down. And I'll take, all they need is, is probably about 48 hours, and I'll take them to a couple of locations along the southwest border. And I think after they leave that, they'll be believers. What about the people who say, all right, so some of the people who cross illegally commit crimes, but we look at the stats and immigrants commit fewer crimes than native-born Americans. Yeah, so, so first of all, uh, right, if you take a, a, a college stat 101 course, you know, of course, you know, you can twist statistics, statistics <laughs> to support any narrative you want, right? Right. And so that, that's what I would say. So so let's talk about then per capita area, right? So there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's kind of like hate crimes, actually. Like right now, they're saying hate crimes on a rise. That's actually factually, it's, it's, it's a false narrative because what's happening is they've, they've increased the reporting and more people are actually reporting hate crimes that they didn't previously report. So, oh, okay. so first of all, right, so let's, let's be careful uh, about statistics. But here's what I would really say, as, just as a, a law enforcement board security guy, is that, so your argument is because a, another demographic commits more crimes, therefore we shouldn't address the crimes being committed by this demographic, right? <laughs> it's, right? It's an, it's an absurd, it's an absurd argument. So I'm like, hey, let's do it all. Let, let's, let's stop all crime. But, but here's what I can tell you. I know along the southwest border, we stand the best chance at eliminating that type of crime along the southwest border by that multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, technology, and personnel. That I know, it works. We have the data, and we can dramatically reduce the threat and impact of this country if we do that. It, I, I just don't buy the argument to say, well, but these folks over here commit more crimes. Right? right. Real quick, if you don't mind, I know it's kind of a long answer, but but like, so they really focus on uh, more more drugs are interdicted, seized at the at the points of entry, right? Yes. First of all, it's fact it's factually incorrect. Now, when you're talking about uh, a coke, you know, cocaine, heroin, meth, and fentanyl, yes, but when you add in marijuana, pound for pound, board of toys just actually interdict pound for pound more drugs in between the ports of entry. But wow. let's just take that argument, right? So, but, 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 and, and also because the border is wide open, you know, 50% of the border is wide open. We, we don't know what's getting it through. So it, it's a false narrative on, right on multiple fronts. But, but here's my argument though. So they'll, they'll, on one breath, they'll, they'll acknowledge that by saying, right, to, to really debunk the need for a barrier, they'll say, oh no, we got it. All these drugs, 90% of heroin that's leading to 60,000 deaths, well, it's coming at the, 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 the points of entry. Right. Right. And they say that to debunk the need for the barrier. But then the same breath, while they admit that, then they say there's no crisis. <laughs> right. Yeah. A little inconsistent. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's absurd. It's an absurd argument. Well, here's another argument we hear a lot is that it's racist to put 
more increased border security at the southern border and not do it at the northern border. So we must just be bigoted against uh, Latin Americans, South Americans, Central Americans. What would you say, based on your experience, um, why we're focusing on the southern border instead of the northern border, for example? Right. So another great point, another great false narrative. So what I would say is, yeah, welcome to my world of 30 years of, 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 of federal law enforcement uh, and local is that it, it's called we don't have enough funding. We don't have enough resources. <laughs> right. right. So every day in an FBI, I got the highest levels in FBI and, of course, Chief of Border Patrol. So that that filled a lot of my day was 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 how do we prioritize the threats that we face? DEA, CIA. FBI, every federal agency, every every local police department, sheriff's department is the same thing. They have to prioritize the threats that they face. That's all this is about, right? So, so it, again, it's a false narrative that they, they, they want to tack on the racism card, which just frustrates the heck out of me. At the end of the day, this is just about prioritization. We don't have enough resources and funding to address everything and uh, every threat that we should fully, we have to prioritize. Well, and it also seems like the criminal illegal aliens, not the ones who are just committing the crime of coming here illegally, but the ones who have a violent background or, you know, theft or whatever, they tend to go to communities that are uh, not as well off as other communities. So I, I think the argument can be made realistically that it's in some ways racist or unfair to minority communities of Americans, because where does the impact of criminal illegal Im immigration or aliens hit the most? It hits more dangerous neighborhoods to begin with. And, and you're trying to clean up these neighborhoods for the residents who live there, and you're allowing um, people who who have not been screened to make sure that they're safe and that they do want to come here to um, adopt the American way of life and to provide for their families. So I, I do feel like there is a, a an argument, counter argument that can be made that not enforcing our border and not making sure that we vet people before they come in here has a disproportionate impact on minority com communities. My response? Amen. Drop that. <laughs> right? what, 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 seriously, yeah, everything you just said, every single Border Patrol agent, every single law enforcement officer in this country is standing up, clapping right, right now, saying you're absolutely right. And, and the frustrating part is, you know, hey, don't let, you know, reality facts get in the way of a good emotional argument or political ideology, right? Right. Um, and, 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 and that's what you just articulated. And that's what's so frustrating is that you'll sit down and, and you'll have discussions like what you just represented that is true, factual, and accurate, and it's just dismissed, just like Congress, right? They're, 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 they're so worried about hanging on and, and securing their own political ideology and their party rather than securing and protecting the, this country. And they, they refuse again and again to listen to experts. And I'm like, hey, you know, don't, don't even listen to me. L listen to the people that have dedicated their lives. You know, take in consideration the 120 Border Patrol agents that have lost their lives. Take, take a look mm -hmm. at the facts. We can keep going on and on and on. Take a look at the Angel families. Just two weeks ago, I stood on the, the, the outside the Capitol, and I stood in front of and talked to Angel families. Uh, you know, American citizens have been killed by illegal aliens that should not have been here. How many more Angel families do we have to uh, uh, create before we say, yeah, there's a crisis. How many more 
tens of thousands of overdoses to, has to happen. Americans die before we say, yep, acknowledge 90% of the heroin's come to the southwest border. And right, I can keep going on and on and on before we stand up and say, this should not be about identity politics. This should be about safeguarding, protecting our country. I don't get it. And this whole argument just disgusts me. And this last bill, 1.375 for barriers, was a joke. You raise a really important point about the sacrifice of the border agents who died in the line of duty. And I don't think this is emphasized as much as it should be, but part of the appeal of a wall or physical barriers is that, uh, you know, instead of relying on drones or some kind of surveillance material, it's a deterrent for people. It, it makes it a little harder to get across the border and then have to be engaged by the border officers, correct? That, that's exactly right. It, it, again, you go to, it, it's, it's just called, anybody knows anything about security, it, in law enforcement, it's called a passive security measure. That's all it is. It, this is not complicated. Well, it's not, <laughs> right? It, it, a, a barrier is just a passive, so, so go to New York and, and Times Square when, when they drop the ball. What, what do they have all over Times Square? They oh, have yeah. Tape, yes. Right? That, that, that's called a passive security measure. Now, can people get over and around it, et cetera? Yeah, but what it does is it provides several very important operational and tactical solutions to the problem. One is it funnels people in a certain direction that law enforcement wants them to go, right? The other thing, though, if someone tries to breach that passive security measure, you have technology that sees it and you have resources that are deployed and they're going to respond, right? And what it does is it slows them down right. so that you can respond. It's not complicated. That's right. all we're saying. And it works. It, right. you know, and I think again, I, you think you can't get everybody over, I mean, or around or whatever. I mean, it, it does. Right. It has to limit the number of people who are willing to do that because it, it creates a lot of exposure for them. Right. So, yeah. So, so Gail, what, what I would say is, is that absolutely it, it, it just it's just common sense. It's not real complicated. It does just what you said. It, it really limits the, the people's ability to to easily cross our borders illegally. It just increases the border patrol's operational capacity and control of that area. Can, can, it, can it be defeated? Of course it can. But again, it, it's not about a barrier by itself. It, to be effective, it, it has to be part of that multi-layer strategy of, of barriers, infrastructure, technology, and personnel. And when all three of those elements are used strategically in, in key locations, it's 90% effective. And, you know, I'm not a mathematician, but the last time I checked, 90% is pretty darn effective. Yeah, I'd take that. Mark, I have a final question for you. You've been in the FBI, Border Patrol, LAPD, the Marines for over two decades. For young people who are interested in doing a similar career path of public service in law enforcement, what advice would you give them? First of all, I, I shouldn't probably really admit this because it shows how old I am, but, but put all those together, I, I've been serving the country for over 30 years. Wow. I wouldn't change, I, I wouldn't change one day, and I would say that to, to any young person, do it. Go serve your city, your country, in whatever capacity you did, because here's what you're going to gain for this, no matter how long you do it. You're going to gain a sense of pride accomplishment that you were a part of something bigger than yourself, that you were doing something that, that served others, helped others a lot that can't help themselves. At the end of the day, you're going to be darn glad you did it. If you did it for a year or 30 years, 
do it. Don't hesitate. Thank you, Mark, for your service, and thank you for joining us today on the show. Thanks, Gail. Anytime. This is Gail Trotter. Like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, subscribe to my YouTube station, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and feel free to leave a review. You can support this podcast on Patreon. We have some really cool Right in DC t-shirts through Patreon. We want to thank Trio Caliente for the music. They are a local band, and they provided the music for the podcast. This is Right in DC. You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.